All right, well, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to take our Bibles and open to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We find ourselves in verse 13. You shall not murder. You know, it's a very simple statement, a simple phrase, but one that humanity has had to wrestle with down through the ages. You know, the first recorded murder within the, within history is when Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. So you think, it, you know, it started right back in that first family. Adam and Eve, they brought the, sin, the world into sin as they rebelled against God and ate the fruit from the tree that they shouldn't have, and that brought sin into the world. And so it means that their family is that they would be born to them, would be born with a sinful nature. And we see that expressed not far into it as just their children. One would rise up and kill the other one. And you know, we've wrestled with that ever since. In fact, if you remember, the world would follow the way of Cain and become so violent, the Bible would tell us, that God would decide to judge it and destroy the whole thing except for one righteous man, Noah, and his family, and he would destroy it with the flood. Well, today, we keep being told that as mankind develops, that we're going to overcome problems that are around us. It still seems that this very fundamental problem is still raging its head, and we still haven't taken care of it. And from what I can tell, I don't think we are going to take care of it until Christ comes back and establishes, finally, peace on the earth. And though for all of our trying, and though we should be trying... Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers. So we should be seeking peace and we should be striving to make peace. For all of our trying, we still wrestle with this same issue. You shall not murder. Over the years, I've followed different issues. I look at like the gun control issue and those kind of things and I find that in places where they get rid of guns, sometimes the murder rate even continues to go up. Just getting rid of guns doesn't fix the problem. There's still something within the human heart. I find it interesting that right now within our larger communities, you got people up in arms about somebody that was killed and what seems to be the response? More killing. Last week we saw Chicago, I think, was the top ones, and they had like over the weekend uh, almost 100 killings. Minneapolis had, I think, 30-something. Seattle had 30-something, upper 30s. Well, what we want to look at here this morning is this command. Do not murder. You know, what we see going on in our communities around is there's a large, and I don't think it's a majority or anything. In fact, I think even if you went within the neighborhoods within those communities, I don't think that you would find uh, everybody calling out for the dismantling of the police department. There is obviously a loud cry for it. And even the city of Minneapolis, its city council, voted this last week to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department in favor of some community safety program or something that they want to put together. But you know what? It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I, I believe that uh, changes can be made or whatever it, if you've got uh, things, places where things can be improved. But you're not going to get to a place where you can get rid of law. In fact, as, as we consider this idea this morning, I'd like to start with a little bit with the bigger concept of law, but primarily focused on one of the laws, this do not murder. And the first thing as we look at this that we need to recognize is the necessity of the law. It's important to recognize that. We, we seem to have a lot of people that are saying, look, let's get rid of the police. I've seen calls for, in fact, I think it's on the list of demands that the group Black Lives Matter, which, you know what, if you take the statement, Black Lives Matter, I agree with the statement. Black Lives do matter. I do not agree with the movement at all. 
if, and I'm not going to get into it in detail right now, but if you go read on their website what they believe, what they're after, you, you don't agree with it either. But I've seen calls for emptying out the prisons, letting all these people out of jail that have been put in there for, for different crimes that they've committed, and, and dismantling the police department. It's foolish. There is a necessity for the law. We have to have the law. The law is the one thing that can give us justice. The law is the one thing that can protect the weak. If the weak don't have the shelter of the law to go under, then the strong prevail. And we see a lot of what we're seeing now. In fact, we see both sides complaining about it. On one side of the issue, you're saying they're, they're saying that, look, law enforcement has abused their authorities, and so they are oppressing us. But on the other side, you see a group that's being oppressed by the ones that are trying to liberate from the oppression of the law enforcement agency. To me, when I look at the system, to be honest with you, I don't get it. Because like with the George Floyd death, I see that that was a disturbing video, and I don't think he should have died. I think that once he was cuffed and in that officer's possession, that officer had a responsibility to make sure that he's okay. And so I think that there's, I think there's a problem there. But at the same time, I see a system that came in and investigated. They fired people. They arrested people. They're charging people. And so it looks like the systems work. So I don't really understand the whole claim about a system not working when it looks like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yes, something bad happened, but the system, it looks like, to me, is taking care of it. It's handling it. Now, in the end, I guess we'll see if it did or didn't when you get to finally hear all the evidence and see all the different factors that play into it and and a jury will get to make their decision. But, you know, this idea of getting rid of law and that everything's going to be peaceful, it's just not the case. What is God doing? He's brought a group of people that have been slaves for 400 years. These people were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. They've known nothing but slavery for 400 years. And now they've been emancipated by God. They've been brought out into the wilderness and they're free of that slavery. first thing that He did was give them liberty by bringing them out of the bondage. The very next thing that He does is give them law. He gives them law. Why? Because if you're going to enjoy liberty, it has to be maintained by law. The reason is, is because my liberty is not allowed to trump your liberty. My ability to swing my fist, as the old saying goes, ends at the end of your nose. I have liberty up to a certain point. How do you deal with those kind of places where they do cross law? It's the only way to take care of them. We have to have law if we're going to have order. You know, our founding fathers recognized that as they sought to set up a nation that was a nation of liberty, a nation of freedom. They recognized that if we're going to enjoy that freedom, it's going to be maintained within the sphere of law. It's in one of the songs that you learned as a kid. As we learned to sing America the Beautiful, it says, America, America, God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control in thy liberty and law. Your liberty, your freedom. Confirm that in law. Liberty is only protected within law. In fact, George Washington, in a circular that he put back in May 9th, in 1753, he said, Arbitrary power is most easily established on the ruins of liberty abused to licentiousness. Now let that sink in, because that gives us a little foresight in what we're looking toward. Because he says, if we want to really lose our liberty, 
lose our freedom, if, if we want arbitrary power to come in in place of that and take over, he says, you know what the easiest place to lose our liberty is? Is when we throw off law. Because if we get into licentiousness, if we try to cast off the restraints of law, it does not work. It doesn't work. And so what happens is, when everything gets in turmoil, somebody's going to gain an upper hand at some point, and they're going to come in and they're going to put an end to the turmoil and an end to your liberty. Because that's what it'll take to get control. And it'll be gone. If you just look at the news over the last week, you can see exactly that. And over the last couple of weeks, I look out to Seattle, where we moved out here from. They have this group that took over this area, and they call it Chopped. And so they took out over seven blocks in a police precinct. First thing they do is, ironically, put up a wall, and they barricade it in, and then they start to celebrate this freedom. It's a no-cop zone. We're going to do only what we want. And the press makes it out to be some kind of a big love fest. Exactly the opposite happens. Because as soon as you kick the police out, there's elements in the city that that's exactly what they want. And so even though there was some of that handing out free food and some of that stuff for a little bit during the day, at night, you get off the streets. It's horrible. You know what's happening in Seattle now? Now you have businesses and private citizens that are rising up and suing the city because they're not being protected. The businesses are being damaged. The businesses are being entered into and stuff stolen out of it. The businesses are being vandalized. It doesn't work. In Minneapolis, we're starting to see the same thing going on. There's a neighborhood in, in Minneapolis that has, is very proud of being a very progressive neighborhood. And they made a decision as a neighborhood that they would not call the police in on whatever happens. Even if it happens to your home, I'm not going to call the police in to deal with this situation. And so the park in the neighborhood now has like 300 plus homeless people in tents and stuff living out there within the park. And now the people in this very progressive and up until this point a very secure and, and safe neighborhood are seeing a transformation within their neighborhood because you know what's coming in? Drug dealers are coming in and prostitution is coming in. And they interviewed one lady and she said that uh, her 9 and 12 year old, uh, they, she doesn't let them go to the park anymore by themselves because it's just not, she says, I'm not trying to be judgmental, it's just not safe anymore. One man came out of his home and had a gun held to his chest demanding his car keys. And he fumbled around and gave him the wrong set of keys. The, the, the guy trying to steal the car finally got tired of waiting for this guy and went down the block and stole a different car instead. Well, that guy called the police and then he felt bad for it afterwards. And why did he feel bad for it? He felt bad for it because he said, I felt like I put that person's life in jeopardy, in danger, by calling the police. Well, first of all, the statistics do not bear that up. Second of all, that person put himself in danger. I'm going to tell you, if you come after somebody with a gun, you're putting yourself in danger. You're creating the situation. So this whole idea of getting, getting rid of the law in order to experience our true liberty is craziness. It just doesn't work. And that's exactly what God is doing with Israel. They get out of Egypt and they are free. In order to maintain that freedom, what do they need? Law. Because law is what sets up security. It sets up that protection that is available. The city council of Minneapolis voted to dismantle the police department. Did you know that in the last several weeks, they've spent $67,000 of taxpayer money on personal security? 
apparently some of them have been receiving some threats, and now they've spent an average of $4,500 a day on personal security. You see, my point that I'm making is, if you're going to say we don't need the police, well, you're going to need something, so call personal security, but you're still going to need that uh, protection if you want to be safe. You can't get around the necessity of law. As he brings them out of Egypt and to be, form their own nation, first thing he does is give them law. He's going to continue after that. Moses himself is going to spend a lot of time being a judge, making sure everybody's secure, making sure everybody's protected. And Moses' father-in-law said, you, there's too much of that to deal with. You've got to hand that out to other, other people that can be faithful at taking care of that. And so he does. But he spends time judging Israel. And then we, they're led by judges after that. And then you get into the kings. And you never get away from law. Whether you look in Israel or you look in our country or other countries around the world, law is a necessity. Otherwise, if somebody comes up, sticks a gun in your chest, says, give me your car keys, and you hand them over, now what do you do? Just go back in the house and be quiet about it? Some people will tell you today that if you have a complaint about it, it's only because you experience white privilege. I would say it's because you experience justice because our nation has been built as a nation of law to provide justice for everyone. And that has to be the goal. It can't be to get rid of law. Well, not only do we see the necessity of the law, but we also see the foundation of the law. The foundation of the law is, uh, first of all, obviously, to protect life. He says you shall not murder. To protect life. Life is valuable. Now, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks as we look at the situation around the country is I've seen statements about people breaking into other people's businesses and and looting the place and that kind of stuff. And some of the people's reaction has been, well, that's not that big a deal. Obviously, it wasn't their business. But that's not that big a deal because it's better to lose a business than a life. It's better to lose objects than life. And you know what? That's, That's absolutely true. Of course that's true. I think the problem with that line of thinking is it's not an either or. It's a both. We don't have to just protect life. You don't have to give up protecting life in order to protect people's goods and possessions as well. There is also a right to property and a right to possession, a right to a livelihood. If somebody else owns something, I don't have the right to take it no matter how upset I get. It's not just a matter of, oh, well, that's no big deal. At least they're alive. That's that's setting the bar way too low. You know what the problem is? If we allow people to violate the laws without any consequences then we end up with a place where everybody violates the laws without any consequences and even life itself will not be protected anymore. Thou shalt not murder. It's put there to do what? To protect life. You know, wrapped up within this command is a prohibition against suicide. You're not allowed to take your own life either. You're not allowed to take the life of an infant within the womb. And look at how many of those we snuff out every day within this country. But life itself is to be sacred. It's to be sanctified because it's human life. We know a lot more about what's going on in the womb of a a mother now than we ever did before. You know what? We definitely know two things. We know that within that mother, whatever it is, it's human. And within that mother, it's life. So it is a human life and worthy of our protection Well, not only is the foundation of the law to protect life, but the foundation of the law is also to honor the image of God. Why is human life sacred? It's because it's made in the image of God. 
In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, it says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is right after the flood, right after he destroyed the world because it had become so violent. God says, Now if you take a life, your life is gone. You're going to pay the ultimate price for doing that because you've destroyed the ultimate thing, which is the image of God in that other person. Also, out of love for others. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of, of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so it's because of a foundation of love. That's what we're supposed to be building society upon. That's what we're supposed to be building community upon. The answer is not to destroy a bunch of other people's stuff or destroy other lives. You can't get to love through hate. It just doesn't work. One of the things that we have learned in this country over the years is the value of peaceful protests. We need to be able to have a voice and we need to be able to try to get things moving and to see change. And a lot can happen through peaceful protests. You can see a, a lot of the, the, the civic mind or the social mind change within a nation. Just look at where we've come in the last 50, 60 plus years. But not through violence. It's not through getting rid of the law. It's from working within the law and through the law that your important changes are made. And then lastly... The defining of the law. What exactly does it mean? It says do not murder. I think the King James Version says thou shalt not kill. There's a lot of questions that I've heard come up over that. What about war? What about animals? So let's just kind of bounce around Scripture a little bit clarifying the issue. Part of it is clarified for us in the meaning of the word itself. In the Hebrew language, there are about seven different words that are used for the idea of killing. And this word in particular is used 47 times within the Old Testament. And it always seems to contain the idea of premeditation and the idea of intention. Not a lot indifferent from our own laws. So it's not just any killing. It's a killing with premeditation and intention. Then also, it is the taking of a human life. Now, obviously, the reason I do that is because I've heard people say when it came to killing animals or something like that, well, you shouldn't kill. Well, this is talking about human life. In fact, when we look back at Genesis chapter 9 and verse 3, right after Noah got off the ark, that was right where God, in verses 5 and 6, where God says, if you kill a person, you will be killed. Your life will be taken. Right before that, He gives us permission to eat the animals. He said, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So animals are not part of this equation. Animals are not made in the image of God. And so it's a human life. Also, as we look to define it, it is not applied to accidental death. We know that because we read in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, it says, This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. Now what that's talking about is they set up cities of refuge. If you were involved in something that led to the death of somebody else, you could run to one of these cities of refuge and you'd be kept safe and protected until they ironed out all the details of what happened. It says, This is the provision for the manslayer who by fleeing there may save his life if anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. So it does not pertain to accidental death. Also, it's not applied to war or law enforcement. 
because the state has ability and the authority to exercise that kind of judgment and to make those kind of decisions. And the soldiers are not guilty, nor are the leaders within the state guilty of murder in that kind of a situation. We see it right within the life of Moses. Uh, Moses in Numbers chapter 31 verse 3, it says, Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. And so God had His people go into battle, use them, use the armies of Israel as judgments against the enemies of God and throughout Israel's history. And it was not a violation of the Tenth Commandment. In Psalm chapter 144 and verse 1, remember this is talking about David. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. He was also a man of war. It said, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He recognized that it was God who trained him and made him a man of war in order to protect his nation. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, we also deal with the state in another way. And we already read it, so I'm not going to read it for you again. But when somebody puts somebody to death, collectively, by mankind, he will be put to death. And that authority falls to the government. And that's why we see like in the book of Romans, for example, in the New Testament, in Romans he gives us a lengthy passage on what our relationship to the state should be. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And he says, look, the authorities that you're under, they're, they're under my authority. I put them in place. And so they're to be obeyed. And he even calls them his servants. He says, they're, they're my servants for good. They're here to do good for us so that our society is safe and our society is secure. But people have a right to be concerned that justice happens in the case of George Floyd. That's right. You know what? People also have the right, the people of Seattle have a right to demand from their government the safety and security and the protection that they should get. And then the system needs to do what it's got to do to make sure all those things happen. I'm sure we got racial issues to deal with. For a while I worked in the state of Virginia just outside of Washington, D.C. in Manassas, Virginia. And I met people that shocked me the way they saw things. I met people that said that they thought we should still have slavery. I couldn't believe, I, I had no idea that still existed. Hopefully it doesn't still exist today. That was 30 plus years ago. I, I tell you, some things disturb me that I see. I remember a, a year ago or so watching a discussion on this subject and there was a, one of our lawmakers, one of our senators, I believe. don't remember which one it was exactly. But uh, he was a black guy. And he said, you know what, in the last year I've been pulled over nine times. It was nine or eleven. I thought, nine or eleven times. Now, I don't know what the guy drives like, so you'd have to look into that before you can just run to rush to judgment. But nine to eleven times he's been pulled over. And he was making the point, he says, my white colleagues in the Senate don't have that problem, I don't think. You know, I remember when I lived in Seattle, I moved to Oatana, 
to go to college, went back home to Seattle for the summer to work there. And I was driving this old rusty beater that I bought in Oatana. It was somebody else's winter car. And I bought it for them for like $500. It was this old black Oldsmobile road kind of low to the ground, tinted windows all the way around except for the front. We drove it home. Somewhere in South Dakota, the mirror fell off of the driver's side on my way out to Washington. But you know what? I drove that car back and forth to work two to three months. And we got a van that fit our family better. And I put the car up for sale. And you know what happened? These three black guys came and bought the car. And they got three blocks. And they got pulled over. Because you're not allowed to have the windows tinted that far around. And you're missing a mirror. I drove the same car all summer long without getting pulled over once. They made it three blocks. Now, I'm not, I'm not rushing to judgment here. But maybe the timing just worked out. But you know what? It's a little suspicious. And so I don't doubt that we have some more improvement to make in race relations. I can see that. But you know, if the examples that you're going to have are going to contain people that just robbed a mini-mart, passed counterfeit bills, are under the influence of things and resisting arrest, if you attack a police officer, take his taser... To me, those don't support your case. To be honest with you, if you attack a police officer or you resist arrest and you wrestle that with that police officer's ground, you take his taser, fire at him, I'm kind of a you-get-what-you-get kind of a category there. To me, that doesn't strengthen your case. I know a few weeks ago I was watching a Biden speech or comment and he was talking about how black people are getting shot just for living their lives. I don't see it. I haven't, I haven't seen one brought forth that wasn't that wasn't doing something that the police were called there for. That didn't attack a cop or didn't you know, maybe there's some out there and I just haven't seen them. And if that's if that's the case, I apologize. But but you know, in order for my perspective, for me to see it, I gotta see it. Your big uh, cases, well look at this, look at that, can't be people that just robbed other people or people that are wrestling with the cops or people that are that go for a police officer's gun or I'm sure some improvements can be made. But what does this passage in Romans, Romans tell us? If you don't want to incur the judgment, if you don't want the wrath, don't do the crime. Do what's right. If you're doing what's right, those cops are all, will always be a comfort to you. It's when you do what's wrong that they get called in and you need to worry. And that's what he's saying. And what does God say in this, position, in this place? He says, they do not bear the sword in vain in order to do what it needs to do for the law to provide safety and security for all of us, it has to have teeth. It has to carry the sword. It has to have that kind of power. Otherwise, what happens? Not too long ago, we were watching videos of people dumping buckets of water all over police officers. And the police officer just walking away, getting in his car. And I thought, oh, this is a dangerous path. If they're going to scorn our law like that, if they can do that, then what can they do next? And you know, I think we're seeing what they can do next. That's what we're seeing. You know, there's no way around this without a return to law. My only question is, by the time we get there, how much freedom is going to be lost with it? Also, we see that it's not applied to self-defense. If somebody attacks you and you defend yourself, then obviously that is not murder either. In Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, it says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. 
But if the Son is risen on Him, there shall be blood guilt for Him. So he kind of puts a qualifier in here. He says, look, if, he, uh, if you get woken out of the middle of the night, somebody's breaking into your house uh, and you kill him, uh, that's, the guy shouldn't have broken into your house. He put himself in that position. That's not your fault. You just did what you had to do. But he does say, he says, if the Son is risen, then it might be a different story. Why? Because if the sun is risen, most burglars and that kind of thing happen at night, other than in some of these riots, obviously. But in, in those kind of situations, if, if you can see clearly, if you, even if somebody's breaking into your house, killing is the la- absolute last resort. You could be guilty of murder if you, if you take it into your own hands at that point. It says, do not, do not kill. You know what? Human life is sacred. Death should always be the last thing. There's a lot of things that are not contained in this command not to kill. The going to war is not contained within it. Law enforcement carrying out their duties is not contained within it. Self-defense is not contained with it. The taking of life of an animal for food is not contained within it. There's a lot that's not contained within it, but what is contained within it is the sanctity of human life. Human life is valuable because it's made in the image of God. And our goal, Jesus told us, even among our enemies, should always be love and not destruction. And that's what's wrapped up in God's command to not murder.